Old Radio Comedy Podcast. Welcome to Episode 3 of Season 5 of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. Today we bring you the episode Miss Enright's Dinner from Our Miss Brooks, originally broadcast on February 5th, 1950, and starring Eve Arden, Jeff Chandler, Gail Gordon, Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. Our second show is the episode The Penalty System from The Smiths of Hollywood, originally broadcast on March 14, 1947, and starring Brenda Marshall, Jan Ford, Harry Von Zell, and Arthur Treacher as Uncle Cecil. Sit back and enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair brings you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks written by Al Lewis. For many teachers throughout the country, the past week marked the beginning of a new semester. And for our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, it was quite a busy time. Thanks to our beloved principal, Osgood Conklin, it was even busier for me than for the rest of the faculty. For in addition to my school duties, he had me typing reports at home in the evenings. All week long, I didn't have a moment to myself. And worse than that, I didn't have a moment to Mr. Boynton. (laughs) Friday morning at breakfast, I couldn't help bending my landlady's sympathetic ear. So you see, Mrs. Davis, not only have I spent the past four nights working for nothing, but I haven't been able to spend any time with Mr. Boynton. That's a shame, Connie. But why did you take on all that extra work? You told me yourself you volunteered to do it for Mr. Conklin. Of course I volunteered. I'm too young to face a firing squad. (laughs) But it's not the work I mind. There's something else that bothers me. Now look, Connie... I know that Mr. Boynton is tall, dark, handsome, charming. That's what bothers me. (laughs) It's where he's been while I've been busy. Mr. Boynton? Why, he's probably been at home every night, twiddling his thumbs. You're wrong, Mrs. Davis. He's been at Miss Enright's three nights in a row. And for all I know, he's been twiddling her thumbs. I don't think you have to worry about Miss Enright, Connie. She may be a capable English teacher, but when it comes to looks, she's no competition. I don't know about that. She's quite an attractive person these days. These foggy days, that is. (laughs) Well, I appreciate this pep talk, Mrs. Davis, but I'd better get ready to leave. Walter Denton said he'd pick me up early. Good, Connie. That'll give you a chance to plan your counterattack. If you really believe that the enemy has secured a foothold in your territory, you've got to get busy and storm the heights. You're so right. Boynton Heights, here I come. (laughs) 
I'm glad you were prompt this morning, Walter. There's something I want to attend to before my first class. I know, and I hope he's in his biology lab when you get there. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't mean to pry into your personal life. Good, let's keep it that way. But I couldn't help noticing how little you and Mr. Boynton have seen of each other during the past week. Now, listen, Walter. Oh, I know it's because of all the extra work you've had to do. Well, even Harriet Conklin, our principal's own daughter, told me she thought he's been driving you like a horse. Oh, I don't know. I always whinny while I work. <laughs> and you've noticed something else, too. Miss Enright hasn't let any grass grow under her feet. Please, Walter, Miss Enright's gardening problems don't interest me. <laughs> you know what I mean, Miss Brooks. She's had dates with Mr. Boynton one night after another. Walter, I know you're fond of me and mean to be helpful. But if this intensely personal conversation doesn't stop, I'll get out and walk to school. Gosh, Miss Brooks, I didn't mean to intrude on your privacy, but it just happens that I have a wonderful plan to get Mr. Boynton out of Miss Enright's clutches once and for all. You want to hear it, Miss Brooks? How can I help it? I'm not going to get out and walk to school. (laughs) But now you're talking. Oh, the scheme is very simple. We just fight fire with fire. For the past three nights, Mr. Boynton has had dinner at Miss Enright's place. Everybody knows that. What does she live in, a television studio? (laughs) Please, Miss Brooks, you'll stop the flow. Sorry. Obviously, Mr. Boynton keeps coming back there because he gets some good food, and the price is right. Hence, the old saying is proved again, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, that may be one of the better routes, Walter, but how do we interrupt Miss Enright's regularly scheduled trips? (laughs) That's where the fighting fire with fire comes in Please, Walter, burning down a fellow teacher is arson No, you don't burn her down You simply tap the same source that she uses for tempting recipes Then you invite Mr. Boynton to your lair Your place Well, what is her source of recipes? Miss Dugan's domestic science class The girls learning to cook at the best recipes you've ever seen And Miss Enright borrows them? Sure after school, she takes them right off the bulletin board in Miss Dugan's room. And they print new ones every day. And Harriet tells me they're so simply written that a sub-moron could follow the instructions. Uh, thanks, Walter. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, Miss Brooks. But I know you haven't had much experience cooking, and You're I... You're right, Walter. Mrs. Davis does all our cooking. Well, Harriet's going to meet us at school this morning and take you into the domestic science class for a little brush-up. And then you invite Mr. Boynton to dinner tonight and let nature take its course. Well, here we are. You get out, Miss Brooks, and I'll find a place to park. All right, Walter. Oh, I keep forgetting. You've got tin slats where the doors should be. (laughs) Give me a hand, will you? Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. There you go. Well, the corrugated tin looks nice instead of doors, doesn't it? I got the idea from the new Hudson. The new Hudson? Yeah. This is the car you stepped down out of. (laughs) Oh, there's Harriet. Hi, Miss Brooks. Walter. Hi, Harriet. Uh, Take our charge in tow. I'll just be a couple of minutes. Okay, Walter. See you later. Come on, Miss Brooks. Let's go in. All right, Harriet. You seem to be the doctor. You just leave this thing to us, Miss Brooks. We'll have that certain part eating out of your hand in no time. If I break any more dishes at home, he'll have to. (laughs) Now, here's our plan, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton's favorite dish is Boston stew. Boston stew? How do you know? Miss Enright pumped him for it yesterday. Seems like a lot of trouble to go to. (laughs) Now, Miss Enright suggests... Miss 
Susan is going to get the best possible recipe for Boston stew and put it on the bulletin board sometime today. Then Miss Enright will stop by and... Excuse me, Harriet. I think I'll drop into the domestic science room for a minute. I knew you'd catch on. I've got to stop by Daddy's office, but I'll join you in a little while. We've still got some time to brush you up on some fundamentals. All right, Harriet. Well, if it isn't Miss Brooks. Miss Enright. What brings you to the domestic science room, darling? Oh, I've always been domestic. Only nowadays, you've got to make a science out of it. <laughs> well, if I've said it once, I've said it a dozen times. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. By now, that should seem like the old ox road to you. <laughs> you're referring to my constant dinner companion of the past week. Yes, I am. While I was home alone working overtime, you were home with Mr. Boynton working overtime. And I don't think it's fair, Miss Enright. Oh, fair in love and war, darling. You're just loaded with goodies today, aren't you? <laughs> After all, if Mr. Boynton likes good food prepared with loving care, who's to prevent him from getting it? If I may borrow one of your best-used clichés, two can play at that game. I'm going to prepare a dinner for Mr. Boynton that he'll never forget. You? Oh, darling, you're not the type. Think of the time and money you spend in a beauty parlor to make yourself fairly presentable. <laughs> a steaming kitchen would play havoc with your fragile charm. You don't say. Well, for your information, Miss Enright, food can be cooked just as well on a pretty modern range as it can on an old pot-bellied stove. <laughs> Are you inferring that it... the girdle fits, wear it? <laughs> Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. No other dentifrice offers proof of such results. Proof that Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Two years' research at leading universities using Colgate Dental Cream, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice history on tooth decay. Conclusive proof that when teeth are brushed with Colgate right after eating, Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Yes, the toothpaste you use to clean your breath while you clean your teeth now offers a safe, proved way to reduce tooth decay. Modern science shows decay is caused by mouth acids, which are at their worst right after eating. Brushing teeth with Colgate, as directed, helps remove acids before they harm enamel. Colgate Dental Cream has been proved to contain all the necessary ingredients including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. Get Colgate Dental Cream today. Big economy size, only 59 cents. Always use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay before it starts. Remember, no other dentifrice offers proof of such results. <laughs> Well, when lunch period came, I hastened toward the school cafeteria to invite Mr. Boynton over for dinner. As I passed the principal's office, however, the door opened and I heard Mr. Conklin murmur, Halt! <laughs> Step into my office a moment, Miss Brooke. Aye, aye, sir. Sit down, please. Thank you. Since this is your lunch hour, I'll be brief. I just want to tell you that I appreciate your getting out that typing during this past week. Oh, you're welcome, Mr. Conklin. Well, see you later. Uh, one moment, please. 
The spirit with which we tackled a difficult task was most admirable. In fact, as I watched your fingers flying over the keys, putting in carbon paper, second sheets, making erasures, oiling and cleaning the machine, then washing up and starting all over again, I realized that to me this wasn't work at all. To you it wasn't. <laughs> no, indeed, it was actually, well, fun. Now, there's another report I must have typed, about 30 pages. 30 pages? Uh, yes, yes. One long evening will do it. Oh, good for her. Those Chinese secretaries are really marvelous. <laughs> Uh, Miss Brooks. I'll be over at your home about seven tonight. Mr. Conklin, don't you think you've been a little partial to me lately? Partial? With these honorary jobs, I mean. You know how carefully we teachers try to avoid making pets out of any students, and, well, you've got to be doubly careful in your high office not to pet any teachers. I mean, uh, <laughs> partiality. Look, I'd like to make a suggestion. Mine is an ever-open mind, Miss Brooks. I know. <laughs> Why don't you give some other teacher the opportunity of working with you tonight? Who, for instance? Well, it's not my place to mention names, but I'm sure Miss Enright would love the opportunity. Miss Enright, eh? She is a competent sort of an individual. Even more competent than some I've used. Yes, yes. I, I think I'll ask her about it right now. Oh, don't ask her now, Mr. Conklin. Surprise her. Just drop over to her place tonight with the work under your arm. But how can I be sure she'll be at home? She'll be at home, all right. If you'll just get there at 7 o'clock sharp, Mr. Conklin, I can promise you, you'll find Miss Enright cooking, with and without gas. <laughs> It's nice to be having lunch together again, isn't it, Mr. Boynton? Oh, it's more than nice, Miss Brooks. It is? certainly is. This goulash is terrific. It's all right for cafeteria food, I guess, but there's nothing like a home-cooked meal. Don't you think so? Oh, I sure do. I've been very fortunate that way during this past week. I've had a couple of home-cooked meals. You've had three, but who counts? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm so subtly suggesting, Mr. Boynton, is that you have dinner at my place tonight. For a change. Your place? Yes, I thought I'd prepare dinner for two. Perhaps some special recipe you're fond of? Well, I wish you'd ask me sooner, Miss Brooks. I've promised to have dinner with Miss Enright tonight. Not again. Yeah, not again. Walter. <laughs> Walter, how long have you been eavesdropping behind that history book? Oh, I haven't heard a thing, Miss Brooks. I was just thinking about what to go and get at the steam table. Well, you're excused any time, Walter. Oh, thanks, Mr. Boynton. But all I can say is... Anybody that'd eat dinner with Miss Enright instead of a certain other English teacher must have some of his marbles missing. Walter! <laughs> I can't understand his attitude. Oh, I guess he just doesn't like Miss Enright. I can understand his attitude. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, I happen to know that Miss Enright will be extremely busy this evening. Mr. Conklin's bringing her a report to type. Mr. Conklin, are you sure? It was the least he could do. But don't worry about your dinner engagement, Mr. Boynton. All you have to do is transfer your appetite to my table. Well, if Miss Enright is going to be busy, I guess I could accept your invitation. Got to eat somewhere. <laughs> You're too gracious. Is it a date? Oh, it's a date. But, Miss Brooks, did I understand you to say you were going to cook the dinner? Certainly. 
That's strange. I never thought you knew anything about cooking. Oh, you'd be surprised. I know some very strange things about cooking. Hi, Walter. What brings you to the domestic science room? You'll see, Harriet. I'm glad the others have all gone. Yeah, there. It's up. What is it, Walter? What did you put on the class bulletin board? It's a recipe for Boston stew. I printed it myself. You printed it? Sure. I got the idea when I heard Mr. Boynton say he was having dinner with Miss Enright tonight. But Walter, you don't know anything about Boston stew. What ingredients did you use in the recipe? Believe me, Harriet, what I printed in this recipe would be banned in Boston. (laughs) Golly, it's not poisonous, is it? Of course not. Just pleasantly sickening. Uh, now, we better get out of here before old Enright comes in. Boy, this will teach you to try and take up all Mr. Boynton's time just because Miss Brooks is busy working. Miss Dugan! Oh, Miss Dugan! Oh, I guess everybody's gone home. Uh-oh. What's this on the bulletin board? Recipe for Boston stew. Now, that's what I call a coincidence. Come to Connie, baby. <laughs> Mr. Boynton should be here soon, Mrs. Davis. How is the Boston stew coming along? Uh, All right, Connie, but there's so many strange ingredients. I must have 15 things cooking in four different pots. (laughs) How does it look to you? Well, frankly, Mrs. Davis, it looks like the stuff they pulled the big mo out of. (laughs) But it must be a good recipe, or it wouldn't have been tacked on the bulletin board. Now, then... Did you saute the codfish balls in beef gravy and baste the frankfurters with molasses? I did, Connie. And did you stuff the olives with shredded wheat before frying them? Yes. And now I'm just bringing the horseradish and turnip greens to a slow boil, Henry. Good. And now we come to the main part of the recipe. Wait a minute, I'll read it for you. Under a low flame, gently stir codfish balls in shallow pan while adding one cup popcorn. (laughs) Add bay leaves and wintergreen lifesavers. Then fold in three cups peanut brittle. Garnish with diced carrots and allow to simmer in one bottle of warm (laughs) Coca-Cola. Well, every man to his own taste, I suppose Oh, it was very nice of you to help me with this cooking, Mrs. Davis But remember now, it's our secret Of course, dear As far as Mr. Boynton is concerned Your loving hands alone prepared this masterpiece Now, I'll just eat my coat and be running along, Connie I'm having dinner at my brother Victor's house You told me that before, Mrs. Davis What time are you due at Victor's? Six o'clock Uh, What time is it now, Connie? 6.30. Then I better hurry. I wouldn't want to be late. (laughs) It's Victor's birthday today, you know. You told me that before, too. Really? I am getting absent-minded. Now, where did I put his present? Oh, here it is on the cupboard shelf. Six nice golf balls. See? Yes, they're very pretty. 
Wait a minute, Mrs. Davis. There are only five golf balls here. Oh, that's all right. Victor never plays golf anyway. <laughs> well, I'll be going now, dear. Just let the Boston stew simmer for another few minutes and then turn off the gas. I may not have to turn off the gas. This stuff looks strong enough to blow it out. <laughs> oh, that must be Mr. Boynton now. I'll just slip out this back door and be on my way. Lots of luck with the dinner, dear. Thanks again, Mrs. Davis. Wish your brother a happy birthday for me. I will. Good evening, Miss Brooks Welcome, Mr. Boynton Let me put your umbrella in the closet This is Miss Enright (laughs) Sorry They both have the same type frame (laughs) Come in, I suppose Thank you, darling Give me your coat, Mr. Boynton I'll hang it up for you Oh, thank you Here's my coat, dear Just throw it over that chair. (laughs) Your hospitality is overwhelming. Uh, You see, Miss Brooks, I took the liberty of bringing Miss Enright along for dinner because we did have a prior date and she didn't have anything else to do. But what about... Mr. Conklin? Well, fortunately, he phoned me about that typing assignment you arranged for me. But I told him that as much as I'd love to help him, I couldn't because of my sore finger. What sore finger? The one that got better as soon as I phoned Mr. Boynton. (laughs) But now that we're here, I don't see why we can't have a fairly jolly dinner party. I'll bet you've got a swell dinner ready. Mm -hmm. What's that I smell? Is it coming from the kitchen? I wouldn't be surprised if it was running from the kitchen. I guess I'll have to set another place at the table Don't you lift a finger, darling. I'll set my own place and pitch right in like a good little sport. We girls have to stick together, you know. I'm stuck with you, all right. (laughs) I'm going into the kitchen, if I may, and help carry things out when they're ready. All right, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'll answer the door. You just go on back to the kitchen. Don't worry about me, Miss Brooks. I'm pretty handy around the house. Yeah, the wrong house. Hiya, Miss Brooks. I knew you were going to be all alone tonight, so I got permission from my folks to eat with you. Uh, Can I come in? Why not? Although about my being alone... Oh, I've got a story to tell you that'll really cheer you up. I can use it. Come into the dining room, Walter. We're about ready to start. Oh, swell. Of course, I've got a date with Harriet tonight, so I'll have to go right after dinner. But I want you to hear the rib I pulled this afternoon. Well, if it isn't one of my favorite pupils, how are you, Walter? Miss Enright. But I... Well, didn't you expect me either? We're all being surprised tonight, aren't we? Well, I put everything in this big platter, Miss Brooks. Oh, oh hello, Walter. Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. Well, what are you doing here? I was invited. So was Walter. We're all invited. <laughs> now, let's sit down and get this over with. Uh, start eating, shall we? <laughs> fine, fine. Uh, I- I'll be the papa bear and do the serving. Here's yours, Miss Enright. Thank you. I think. Here's your dish, Miss Brooks. Thank you. Now you, Walter. Oh, boy, I'm starved. Well, go on and eat, my boy. This is food that's fit for a king. Yeah, I'll try one of these round things first. Uh, Oh, this is kind of slippery. Look out, Walter. It's rolling off your plate. I caught it on the fourth bound. <laughs> Here you are. Say, this is a pretty strange kind of food. It says Spalding Crow Flight on it. 
Balding crow flight? Don't give it another thought. Victor never plays golf anyway. <laughs> Just what kind of a dish is this, Miss Brooks? Oh, can't you tell? This is Boston stew. Well, sure, anybody knows that. You can tell at a glance that this is good old... Boston stew! <laughs> so that's why the recipe wasn't on the bulletin board in the domestic science room. You took it, Miss Brooks. Why not? First come, first served, I always say. Now, let's dig in, shall we? But, Miss Brooks... You better start eating, Walter. Remember what you told me. You've got to go right after dinner. I know, but this isn't the way I want to (laughs) go. I gotta talk to you privately for a minute Come on into the kitchen Hey, excuse us, folks Just continue eating, won't you? I'll be back as soon as I see what's wrong with Walter What is it, Walter? What's the trouble? That recipe for Boston stew That didn't come from the domestic science teacher I printed that myself You? Sure, that was the rib I started to tell you about I thought Mr. Boynton was gonna have dinner with Miss Enright So I wanted to fix her wagon I just put down everything I could think of in that recipe. Oh, this is terrible. I've got to stop them. Yeah, you better. I'm going to take a powder out the back way. If Miss Enright finds out about this, she'll kill me. And if she doesn't, it's my turn tomorrow. <laughs> uh, listen, folks, don't touch the... Where's Miss Enright? The strangest thing happened, Miss Brooks. She took one spoonful of the stew and got the most peculiar look on her face. <laughs> and then she excused herself and ran out the front door. I don't know what got into her. I do. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, oh, please... she never acted that rudely before. I can't understand Well, never it. mind that now. I hope you didn't taste that stew. Taste it? Well, I've eaten two plates of it. <laughs> oh, it's delicious, Miss Brooks. Well, I feel warm all over. Just... <laughs> Just goes to prove the old saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Mr. Boynton, with two plates of that stew in there, the super chief couldn't get through. Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight? Yes, tonight. Show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Luster Cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable, Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to... Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Boynton was so grateful for the Boston stew, he could hardly wait till the dishes were finished before inviting me to a movie. But as we headed for the closet to get our coats, the front door opened and a familiar voice murmured, Hey! <laughs> Mr. Conklin. Oh, hello, Boynton. 
Well, Miss Brooks, since Miss Enright has a bruised finger tonight, I brought over this 30-page report, and I'm going to let you type it. Thanks a million. Oh, gosh, Mr. Cotton, we were planning to see a movie. Well, you'll have to go alone, Boynton. This is business. Awfully sorry, Miss Brooks. I'll go get my coat out of the closet. All right, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Conklin, can't this typing be postponed? I'm afraid not. This is so important, I even skipped my dinner so that we could buckle right down to work. Uh, by the way, while we're working, I could use a little snack. Do you have anything around that I could eat? Eat? I have just the thing for you, Mr. Conklin. Mr. Boynton. Yes, Miss Brooks? Stick around. I'll be with you in a minute. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Mustard Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Mary Jane Croft. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. From Hollywood, California, we bring you the Smiths of Hollywood. Yes, friends, it's the Smiths of Hollywood. With Brenda Marshall as Nancy Smith. Bumps, aren't you going to go to the corner movie tonight? Jan Ford as daughter Bumps. No, I heard it was a dull picture. The heroine only bumps off four of her husbands. Harry Von Zell as Bill Smith. Oh, so even you are getting tired of homicide. Hollywood better start producing better pictures. People are revolting. They certainly are, William. People are most revolting. <laughs> I much prefer gophers. <laughs> and that was Uncle Cecil from England, played by Arthur Treacher. And if you're tired of homicide, relax and listen to The Smiths of Hollywood, with music by Charles Hathaway. <laughs> Presented by... You can take a breather. It's the Smiths of Hollywood. And now, here's Nancy Smith. Hi. You know, I was brought up with the idea that if you couldn't say something nice about a person, you shouldn't say anything at all. This worked fine till Bill's Uncle Cecil moved in on us. His theory is that if you have something to say that's nice about a person, you're slipping. 
Now, all of us sort of picked up Uncle Cecil's philosophy. I noticed it first at lunch one day. Well, Uncle Cecil, it's only lunchtime. What got you out of bed? Insomnia? Quiet, William, or I'll sick my frightful hangover on you. Now, what would you like for brunch, Uncle Cecil? Oh, the usual. Yes, you mean two aspirins, sunny side up? Oh. Say, Bumps, don't dip your bread in the gravy. It's bad manners. Maybe it's bad manners, but it's good taste. Oh, you're getting worse every day. I've never seen such a sloppy child. Even your room looks like a little pig lives in it. A little pig does live in it. (laughs) You should talk. You never put away anything. He doesn't put anything away. Who put away my last bottle of scotch last night? (laughs) We were saving that for a special day, too. Oh, really? My birthday? No, the day you go back to England. Uh. (laughs) Listen, Uncle Cecil, if you intend to stay here, you could help around the house. How about making a bed once in a while? Fine, yes, fine. Give me a hammer and saw and I'll be glad to try. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, I say, don't you think that was rather good, William? No, I don't think it was rather good, William. Oh, too bad, yes. I thought it might put you in a merry mood. I was about to discuss something painful. Yes, your hangover again, I suppose. No, no, my wallet. Could you, uh, could you spare ten dollars for a month, old boy? Don't be silly. What would a month, old boy, do with ten dollars? <laughs> you hear that, Nancy? <laughs> didn't you think that was rather good, Uncle Cecil? No, I didn't think that was rather good, Uncle Cecil. Really, William, I'm in quite desperate straits. Could you, could you lend me five dollars? No. I'll give you an IOU. Oh, Uncle Cecil. Your IOUs turn up in places that Kilroy hasn't even heard of. Kilroy? Who's he? Never mind. Listen, how about that ten you borrowed last week? I'm getting tired of asking for it. Good, I'm tired of having you ask for it. (laughs) William, my boy, money flows from your hand like water in a river. I'm talking about the Los Angeles River, of course. (laughs) Oh, this is getting on my nerves. If you two don't stop, I'm going to scream. William, I'm sorry I said money flowed through your hands like the water in the Los Angeles River. Yes, well, you'd better apologize. Apologize? I understand now and then there is a little water in the Los Angeles River. Why? I said I'm going to scream. Oh, by all means, old girl, scream. (laughs) Now then, where was I, William? (laughs) Oh, yes, you you were about to advance me some money. I was not. I wouldn't... You, you could... Bumps, what are you writing down? This conversation. Our conversation? What for? So when I get sent to a psychiatrist, he can see from my notes how it all began. You don't need a psychiatrist. You need a hairbrush. Backside to backside. <laughs> well, get to talk about hairbrushes from Uncle Baldy of all people. Hey, hey, that's enough. Bumps, one more word from you and you go to your room. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. That was a word. Make her go to her room. Honest, Mom, I didn't mean to say nothing. Didn't mean to say nothing? What atrocious grammar. <laughs> oh, you shut up to one more word and you go to your room. Understand? <laughs> uh, I- I'm sorry I was short-tempered, Bumps. You can stay and finish your lunch. A teaser? 
That was the word make him go to his room. What a vile child. <laughs> Any more of this and I'll need a psychiatrist. Now, from this point on, if we can't speak nicely to each other, we just won't speak. Quiet, isn't it? I mean it. In fact, we're going to start a penalty system. I'm going to buy a piggy bank, and anyone who says something nasty has to put a dime in it. Oh, if Uncle Cecil stays around, I'll have to cash in all my war bonds. Now, look, we're going to start right now. Till we get a bank, we can use the vase on the mantel. Now, every gripe costs a dime. Hadn't it ought to be half price for little children? Oh, you little scavenger, you. <laughs> you have enough cash in that swine vault of yours to buy and sell the rest of us price. <laughs> Uncle Cecil, that'll cost you a dime. Here's the vase. Drop it in. But, Nancy, all I said uh, was... Uh, uh. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nancy, you're a genius, a dime already Guess that'll teach old Uncle Sourpuss to think twice before he... Sourpuss? Huh? Here's the vase, darling Oh, no. <laughs> oh William, you tight-fisted scoundrel, you... Uh -huh. Yes, what were you saying? <laughs> William! Sweet, sweet William Oh, no, no, no <laughs> Too late, too late Both of you owe the kitty another dime Come on, pay up I say, what becomes of the money we take in? Oh, you would think of that. I mean, you, you would think of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice recovery, darling. You'd better not keep the bank where a certain person can get to it. From the experience I've had with my piggy bank, I know... Empty up, you little monster! <laughs> I didn't mention any names. We know who you meant. Who else would steal pennies from a child? <laughs> I say, I say, what am I saying? Well, that's how the Gripe Bank started. A dime here, a dime there. And sometimes, like when Uncle Cecil drove through the garage doors with a car, and Bill said... Well, in no time, the Gripe Bank was full, and Bill and I went into a huddle about how to spend it. Gee whiz, there must be a fortune in here, Nancy. What do we do with it? Well, why don't we all go out and have a celebration? Hey, oh, you mean Uncle Cecil, too? Well, sure, why not? And let that old fossil cash in on my well-chosen swear words? Old fossil, Andy, up there. Yeah, oh. Oh, I haven't got a dime. Only got a 50-cent piece. You know how to make change. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> Here's the 50 cents. Now, why should that fat-headed, muddle-brained... Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting restrictions make it necessary to forcibly delete the next few lines of the Smiths of Hollywood program. <laughs> what you hear now is a censored version of Bill Smith's opinion of his Uncle Peter. <laughs> After it has gone through the censor's hands. Oh, <laughs> oh, darling. You really shouldn't lose your temper. It makes you black in the face. It does? Well, all right, Nancy, you win. I never got so much fun out of a half a dollar before, though. <laughs> well, then you agree with the way I want to spend the money from the Gripe Bank? No, I don't agree, but if you want to do it, it's all right. Well, look, we can have dinner at the Brown Derby. 
And um, get some theater tickets. Yeah. There's no school tomorrow, so Bumps can come along with us, huh? Okay. Look, we'll start the evening off with champagne. Hey, how about that imported bottle we've been saving before the war? <laughs> Just the thing. Oh. Oh, look, let's surprise Uncle Cecil and not tell him about it till later, huh? Yeah. I'd like to watch him squirm a little. <laughs> look, let's let's tell him we're going out, and he has to stay home with Bumps. Huh. That'll please him. Oh, wait a minute. I think it's kind of a dirty trick. Yeah, that'll please me. <laughs> Pop! Yeah? Can I have a nickel for an old man that's outside crying? What's he crying? Ice cream cone, five cents. <laughs> no, now just forget the ice cream for now, Bumps, and we'll let you in on a deep, dark secret. Oh, am I finally going to get a baby brother? <laughs> No, uh, Bumps there. This uh, this is going to be a surprise for Uncle Cecil. We're all going out to celebrate tonight. How come? Is Uncle Cecil leaving? Oh. <laughs> no, we're all going out together to spend the money in the gripe bank. Shh, here comes Uncle Cecil. Now, don't Uncle say a word. He's got a beautiful ruby-tinted nose. Well, why all the sudden silence? Talking about me again? Well, as a matter of fact, we were, Uncle Cecil. And have you paid the kitty for what you said about me? Well, we, we were wondering if you were going to be busy tonight. Yeah, Nancy and I had something planned. And I suppose you want me to stay home and take care of your... dreadful child. <laughs> well, uh, it's been a long time since Nancy and I have gone out on the town. You mean you're going out for an evening of merrymaking while I sit home with your, um... with your, um... I say, William, can you spare me some change to finish a sentence? Oh, Uncle Cecil, don't be a bad sport. You can never tell what'll happen. While I stay home doing housework, eating bread and water, you two are celebrating at the Brown Derby. Derby, Uncle Cecil, Derby. That's what I said, Derby. Come on, Nancy. Didn't you say you wanted me to drop you at the hairdresser? <laughs> What would happen if I didn't? Spike Hathaway, yes, I did. Most wonderful thing about radio is the switch that turns them off. Uncle Cecil, I'm going upstairs and do my hair for tonight. For me? What a sweet thought. I shall shave. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I didn't mean for you. Oh, a secret romance already. Hmm? You'll find out tonight. Maybe she'll elope and somebody else will have to put up with her. <laughs> I think I'll see what's in the icebox. <clears throat> Probably not a lick of food in the house. For all they cared, I could starve. I see, I see, a bottle of champagne. What a delightful, what a perfectly delightful surprise. I wonder what it's doing in there. Somebody ought to drink it before it gets too cold. No, 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 no. Mmm, good vintage. Awfully dusty, though. Shouldn't put it back in the icebox without dusting it. William will thank me for taking off these cobwebs. I say, what tenacious cobwebs. Seem to be made of wires. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. The cork seems a little loose, too. I suppose I'd better twist it back into place. Not many men have a willpower like mine. I'm a man of strong character, luckily. There, there, the cork's in solidly. Now I say, how in the world did that happen? Oh, dear, dear, William will hardly believe this was accidental. Well, now that it's in the glass, there's no use letting it go flat. Poor little buttercup, dear little buttercup. Deedle doodle did you drink that whole bottle of champagne? No, child, I put a little in my fountain pen. <laughs> you see before you, Bumps, the victim of a most unfortunate accident. I was just standing there at the icebox, minding my own business, when all of a sudden... What? Can't you understand English, dear? Uncle Cecil, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. After Mom and Pop made plans to take you out for an evening, you drink up all the champagne. Child, you sound like you'd had the bubbly. They never even gave me a thought. They did, too. It was going to be a surprise for you, and the champagne was part of it. Oh, dear, dear, now I've spoiled everything. Unless, ah, unless I can replace the champagne before they return. Bumps. Charming bumps. Wonderful bumps. No, I don't have any money. No, neither do I. Well, um, whatever will I do now? How about hawking something? Child, child, you have a brilliant brain at times. I know just what will bring in some cash. I'm off to the hawkery. No, no, no. In the first place, it ain't worth $15. And in the second, why are you trying to pawn a woman's fur jacket? Doing it for Manisi. Oh. Now, she's been gambling heavily. Big bingo games in the church basement. Oh. <laughs> Ran into a heavy losing streak. She, she stutters, you see. And by the time she says bingo, she's on her way home broke. I simply, I simply must have twenty dollars. Yeah, well, I can sympathize with you. Glad to hear it. Uh... Yeah, my first wife, or maybe it was my second, I forgot. Anyway, her bingo binges drove me into this business. Ah. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the 20, Mac. Thanks. Well, Bumps, here we are. Champagne to replace the bottle that accidentally opened itself. Shh, not so loud. Mom and Pop are home. Oh, dear. Did they see the champagne was missing? 
No, well, I kept them away from the icebox. You better put that in the refrigerator quick. Uncle Cecil, get your hands off that champagne. Uh, yes, yeah, I was just... Uh, now, that's uh, special. Nancy will be here in a minute, and we'll open it. Open it? How delightful. I simply love champagne. Yeah, so do I. It's been years since I've had any. Me too, William. Can't remember when I last tasted champagne. I can tell you. Quiet, child. Oh, what a nasty child. (laughs) Everybody waiting for me? Oh, yes. This was your idea, darling. I wanted you to break the news to Uncle Cecil. Oh, how nice. Uncle Cecil, we're all going out tonight in honor of you. And to start things off, There's champagne in the icebox. How delightful. Let's have at it, hmm? Would you want it now? Now, by all means. Now is always the time for champagne. Well, if you say so. But we have to get dressed. I'm going to really get decked out in your honor, Uncle Cecil. My anniversary clips and earrings. My fur jacket. Oh, how delightful. Uh, The, the, uh, yes, the, uh, the, 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 the fur jacket. Nancy, isn't it a little warm for fur? Uncle Cecil, this is California. Come on, let's open the champagne. Now? Before we dress? Oh, how uncivilized. What are you talking about? You were the one who wanted to open it now. Me? I never drink before I dress. I say you two start and I'll join you right away. Uncle Cecil, refusing a drink? Are you sick? No, no, no. I But I just remembered a little last-minute detail. I won't be long. I'll be right back. <laughs> I don't get it. Now you're in here with a man's tuxedo, trying to trade it for the woman's fur jacket you pawned. Say, look, is this hot? I don't know. I, I never worn it. It, it. It's my nephew's, you see. He's taking up bingo, too. I, I want to trade this for the fur jacket. Well, why do you need the jacket back? Well, you see, it's, it's, well, it's for my niece. She's going to Pasadena to a society bingo game tonight. And you don't want her to go in rags, do you? She's a very sensitive girl. Yeah, but... And have other women make catty remarks and give her a complex? I hope she blames you in the suicide note. She doesn't even know me. It would be a police investigation, too, if you want that. The publicity, the notoriety, your children forever disgraced. Mac? I don't even have any children. Yes, I see what you mean, yes. Now, now, if you'll, uh, if you'll hand me that jacket... Thank you, yes. Now, here's the tuxedo, and God bless you. You have a heart of gold. Well, thank you, thank you. Say, what am I thanking him for? Well, Uncle Cecil, it certainly took you long enough. Well, I'm terribly sorry to keep you waiting. Well, let's have it the champagne, yeah. huh? Oh, but you said you never drank before you dressed. Well, can't a man change his mind? Open the bubbly, William. I say this is awfully well, jolly. Well, I don't know, I... I think I'd better have mine after I dress. It's been so long since I wore that tuxedo, I doubt if I can get into it after champagne. Oh, you look fine in it. Uh, Tux? Did you say tux? William, you've betrayed me. Oh, you won't have to dress if you don't want to, Uncle Cecil. But Bill and I so seldom dress. Well, are we or aren't we going to have the champagne now? Oh, later. No, I mean now. No, I mean later. Uncle Cecil, listen, if I didn't know better, I would think you'd already had some champagne. Sometimes you're uncanny. Oh, quiet, child. Uh, I, I, I forgot something. Now, you go right ahead with the champagne and, and don't dress till I get back. My, this is fun, though. Is that guy out of his head? Say, you back again? My good man, you're talking to a person of means. Mm-hmm. Oh, so somebody finally won at bingo. What is it, Penny Ante? Now, just count out your money and restore the rest of that gripe bank. Gripe bank? Yes, it's a wonderful idea. Makes having a nasty personality pay. 
Now count out your fee and give me that tuxedo, please. Well, Nancy, shall we drink the champagne or wait for Uncle Cecil? Well, they say champagne improves with age. Mm-hmm. But not Uncle Cecil. Let's drink it. Oh, here he is. If it isn't Uncle Dasher. Are you coming or going? Well, 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 I was afraid the champagne would be gone by now. Glad to see it's still here. Shall I open it? That's one thing he has a know-how for. Oh, what a delightful, what a perfectly delightful sound. Bumps, what's that vile concoction you're pouring to yourself? Water. Water? Straight? Oh, how is it? Oh, th- th- that's enough champagne, Uncle Cecil. Yeah, well, I propose a toast to the most wonderful person I know. Oh, thank you very much, William. Who said anything about you? Nancy, dear, to you. The most wonderful woman in the world. Bravo, well said. Oh, thank you. Thank both of you. Now, may I propose a toast? To the Gripe Bank. It brought peace, and it's paying for our night out on the town. Bravo, a wonderful idea. Let's drink up. What, uh, what, what did you say? What did you say, Nancy? Oh, Bill and I decided we'd surprise you. The bank's full. We'll go to the Brown Derby and then to the theater. Oh, dear. If I know that look on Uncle Cecil's face, we'll go to the Greasy Spoon and then the Penny Arcade. Yes, well, now, now let's not open the bank tonight. Now, l- l- let's wait till it's full. Oh, but it is full. Go get the bank bill and show him. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Hey, where is the bank? It's gone. By some strange coincidence, I happen to have it here what? in my pocket. Let me see that. Uncle Cecil, you robber. You old senile delinquent. Bill, contribute to the bank. I will not. Uncle Rob will cease it. Uncle oh. Cecil Rob. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> the bank is still in effect no matter what. Now, you contribute, Bill Smith. No. William, my boy, let me explain. Oh, you can't. I had to borrow some funds. Well, you'd better have an airtight reason. Oh, an excellent reason. I did it all for you. For me? How come? Well, I had to get your tuxedo out of Huck. Well, I know that, but you... Yeah. My tuxedo? How did my tux get in hock? Quite simple. I had to hock your tux to get Nancy's fur jacket out. Well, there, Bill, you see? What? My fur jacket in hock? Why, you thieving old reptile. Nancy, Annie, I will not. Who was it who just said the bank was still in effect no matter what? Your fur jacket is back, Nancy. Absolutely safe. Yes, but why did you have to pawn it in the first place? Why, to get some cash to buy a bottle of champagne to replace the bottle I accidentally drank this afternoon. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> you drank my vintage champagne. That tears it. Why, Ca- you... Careful, darling. Careful, darling. You're getting black in the face. I don't care. You champagne-filching blackguard. Censor! Censor! Come muzzle my husband! Of all the thieving... No, let him go. No, here, William, here's the bank. Speak your mind, old boy, and there'll be enough money to buy bottles of champagne. <laughs> I say, pass the champagne. I want to toast the great bank. Who says crime doesn't pay? Who... Well, to say what he thinks of Uncle Cecil will probably be worth what it cost Bill. Remember the gripe bank when you're talking about the Smiths. It might cost you. But anyway, be back with us with some dimes next week. The Smiths of Hollywood with Arthur Treacher, Brenda Marshall, Harry Von Zell, and Jan Ford is written by Dick Nossaman, directed by Robert Fresnel, Jr., 
with music by Charles Hathaway and produced by Andrew Hickox. Also in tonight's cast was Charlie Lund. And this is Tyler McVeigh saying good night from Hollywood. Be sure to tune in next time, my friends, for another classic comedy radio show. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. Thanks.